So we've been in this series last couple weeks called, Oh, How He, and you fill in the blank there, loves us, loved us, whatever you want to say, either one of those. And as we have been looking at this, we look at how Jesus has loved us and has loved us as he has done a couple of things, as he is as he has come into our lives and he has humbled us. And we looked at how he loves us by humbling us, right? And we talked about that and how he did that with the, the, the leaders, the religious leaders of the day. How he, he looked at them and showed them that even though they thought that they were following the law, they indeed were not. And they did not know the law that the way that they thought they did. And he humbled them and gave them the opportunity that he gave everybody else to acknowledge that he was God. But they chose not to do that. And at the same time, he, he showed the, the lady that was caught in the midst of adultery, that was thrown into the streets, he, he, he humbled her by saying, you know what? None of these guys condemn you, so neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And he humbled himself at the same time. He was humbling her by showing her love and grace and forgiveness. And he was down on the ground with her, showing her how humble he was at the same time. And then we talked about last week how he loves us by the way he heals us, by the way he restores us, makes us new, brings to life again in and, and that healing process that we go through. Oh, how he loves us as he heals us. Today, being Resurrection Sunday, I thought it only appropriate to continue in this series with saying, oh, how he loves us by the way he hurts for us. As we look at the cross, all we can see is the pain and suffering of Jesus Christ hung on that tree for us. And, and we look at that and we say, man, oh, how he was hurting. How he was hurting for me. And we recognize that, right? Today, admittedly, I, things are going to be a little bit different in how I approach the sermon today. Normally, you know, I, I, would, I would read a passage during the middle of when I was speaking and, and it would be back and forth between the two. But today, I just want to talk to you for a minute and then we'll read some stuff at the end, okay? So I just want to talk to you about the reality of what Jesus went through. See, when we look at the, the cross, we see how Jesus physically hurt, right? We look at that and we say, man, that must have been terrible to go through that kind of pain. And I'm going to describe to you today some of that pain. And it's not exactly going to be G-rated, if, if I'm perfectly honest with you, okay? And I'm going to talk about that pain and what he endured and, and how physicians have looked at, at exactly the kind of pain that Jesus Christ endured when he was on the cross and I'm going to tell you about that. But I also want to tell you about something you probably never thought a lot about. And that is when you've got a lot of friends around you and people you think that are really close to you. And you think people that will come to your defense at a moment's notice. If you're in trouble, if you're hurting, if you're in pain, that they're going to come alongside you and say, Man, I'm right there with you, brother. Don't worry about anything. It's okay. I, I, I'm right there with you. But we know that Jesus was deserted, right? So you want to talk about the physical pain. I think that that's almost secondary to how he must have hurt in his heart. Knowing that, that his brethren, the, the guys that loved him so much, how they were going to deny that they even knew him. How when the going got tough, they just got out of there, right? When it became difficult, when it became strenuous, and when they became filled with fear, what did they do? They just ran away. And Jesus knew that they were going to do that. He told them that they were going to do that. But I still believe in his heart he must have hurt because these are the people that walked with him for three years right beside him. And all of a sudden, when it got very difficult, they just ran away. Can you imagine that kind of hurt that must have gone on on the inside? You see, I want to talk to you for a minute. And I want to kind of talk back up just a little bit from where Jesus goes to trial and before he goes to the cross and before he's scourged and all of that. I want to back up just a little bit. 
to the point at which you all know in John eleven thirty five it says that Jesus wept, right? So everybody's got that verse memorized, right? Everybody's like, yes, man, I, I got that one. I have memorized that one. If there's any verse I've got memorized, it's that one. Jesus wept. I got it. And we know that Jesus wept when he was outside Lazarus' tomb, right? You remember that? When, 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 when his, his friends called him and said, man, we, your buddy, your, your close friend, the one, the one that you really love and you're close to, Lazarus, you know, he's sick. And, and, and Jesus said, it's okay. We're going to wait three days here and then we'll go and, and, and then we'll go find out what's going on with Lazarus. And he dies in the meantime. And, and he goes to his friend's house, and they're talking to him. Man, like, if you'd only got here sooner, Jesus. Man, if, Jesus, if you'd only got here sooner, then maybe your friend Lazarus would still be alive. Now, we all know how that story turned out, right? Jesus looks at the tomb, and he goes, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come forth. Because if he hadn't said his name, everybody would have walked out of the tomb, right? Everybody would have come out of there. But he said Lazarus. So Lazarus is the one that came out. But before that, and before he called, and Jesus, knowing, being God and knowing what was going to happen, he knew he had the authority and the power to call out to Lazarus and tell him to come forth, and he knew what would happen as a result. Well, before that, Jesus wept. Jesus, you ever thought about that? Why, why would Jesus, knowing he could raise him from the dead, his best friend like, is, is, is dead, but like, why is Jesus crying? I don't get it. I think it's a picture of what was going to happen to him very soon. It was a, a picture of how he was going to have to suffer, and he too would be in a tomb. But it was also a picture of the damage that sin had done to the world. Because sin had come into the world, death now resided in the world, right? Because sin had entered the world, now his friend was in a tomb. Well, also, Jesus one day would have to go to a tomb, and that was because sin had entered into the world, right? And this reality, I really believe, broke the heart of Jesus when he thought about sin and he thought about what it meant when sin came into the world and how he was going to have to suffer because of sin. So Jesus is standing outside the tomb and he's crying. And Lazarus comes out, man. That would have been a good day, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you like to have been there? Hey, y'all, I was sitting there. I was having a ham sandwich. No, wait, they wouldn't have had a ham I'd had a PB&J or something, but anyway, I was sitting there having a sandwich, and Jesus rolls up, and we all told him he was dead, and Jesus said, I don't matter, it ain't over with till I say it's over with, Lazarus come out, and uh, Lazarus comes out, he's all wrapped up in his grave clothes, he's doing a little hop thing out, you know, and uh, they get him loose from that. And what does he say? Give him a sandwich. Hey, man, that sandwich you're eating, give it to him. Lazarus needs something to eat. He's been dead, you know. He's hungry. <laughs> oh, what a good day that would have been. But you know what happened as a result of that? People started freaking out. They really did. And they started talking about Jesus and what he had done. And then it starts to freak out all the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The religious leaders and jerks of the day, this starts to weird them out too. And then they start to plot against Jesus. Like Then they, then they start going like, we got to do something with this guy. They, we can't just let this keep going. And that was the point at which everything started to be put into motion, right? Everything started to go downhill for Jesus, so to speak, right then. It's when, when, when Lazarus came out, man, everybody started to do something at that point in time. 
And so I, I'm thinking about Jesus and how things are starting to go downhill for him. Because everybody's, if you read in, in, in John chapter 11 into 12, it talks about how, man, everybody, they, they saw Lazarus come out. And then there were some that believed. And then there were some that went away to kind of plot against Jesus. And all this was kind of going down at the time. And then we have this little break in there where, where Jesus comes back and he, he's getting ready for the Passover. And he's, he's in Bethany, this place called Bethany that's right outside Jerusalem. And, and he's there and, and, and like this woman starts to anoint Jesus. She's got this alabaster box. You know the story I'm talking about where she's just anointing Jesus with a very expensive perfume. And we see the anointing of Jesus like, man, okay, maybe things are starting to turn around. Maybe they're not going downhill so much for Jesus like we thought they were. Man, he's getting anointed here reality we find out he's just getting getting prepared to be to be buried right and his disciples are around him and they're like and what's she doing this expensive perfect what's she doing and Judas is like man she doesn't need to spend that money on Jesus she could sell that and then give it to the poor when he knew that he could take some of that offering if it was sold to be given to the poor, he knew he could take some of that, and all this is going down, and and Jesus is there, and he's like, hey, just leave her alone. She knows what she's doing here. She's just worshiping me while I'm here. She, she's just she's just worshiping me while I'm in, in the midst of you guys. And then, and then you, you all know that Palm Sunday comes, right? Palm Sunday comes, and you got these people. Man, they're throwing palm branches down. They're like, they're like, Going crazy, singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, God, save us, save us, God, save us, man. They recognize that, man, this is a guy that's going to save us. And they're praising him as he comes in, this triumphal entry, man. And it's, it's a big party, and it is great, and everybody is, is just loving Jesus at this point. And you think, man, this is good. This is setting up for a good ending, right? See, we don't have, we don't, we're not like them. We have the benefit of knowing the end of the story, right? Here they are, they're just, they're just recognizing who Jesus is, and you got this group of people just celebrating the fact that he is going to save them. He's going to recognize who they are or what they need, all right? He recognizes the place that they're in, and he's going to give them what they need, and they, they, they're celebrating this at this point in time. Well, then this plot that's been set up against Jesus, it starts to kind of roll forward, and, and Judas is doing his thing, and he's selling out Jesus, and, and they're trying to capture him. So Jesus goes off to the garden, and we talked about last week how he, how, how he healed the, the temple guard when his ear was cut off. We talked about that last week, and, and the representation there of the healing that Jesus brings, that when people are on two different sides, man, and he just brings them together by bringing healing that, that nobody else can do, and, and we talked about that a little bit, but Jesus is there with his, with his friends, right, his close guys, and he says, Look, we got to stay up. We got to pray, okay? We got to pray. And now we start to see the downward slide of the disciples. The guys that have been walking around with him for three years, the guys that have been so close to him. I mean, they've been tight, you know? I mean, like, they were there, like, late at night with Jesus talking to him. They were hearing every single word that he, that he said day in and day out when he, was, when he was doing amazing things in the crowds and when he was speaking to the crowds. I mean, they were, they were there with the guy. And he says... We need to stay up and pray and keep watch. And what do they do? They start falling asleep. One of them, Judas, is off selling out Jesus. And the other guys are there with Jesus. And they're falling asleep. 
They can't even stay awake to, to be there for their brother who is, I mean, literally pouring out drops of blood out of his brow because he is, he is in such torment over his prayer about what is going to happen. And he can see the fact that God is about to, to unleash his wrath on him. And he, he sees all of that. And he's asking his brothers to pray with him. And they, they really can't. They can't even stay awake. They're just falling asleep. I imagine that hurt a little bit, don't you? Like, man, I'm not asking you to go walk 15 miles. I'm asking you to stay awake and pray. And they try, but they can't. And then he wakes them up. Hey, really, stay awake and pray. That's a big deal, y'all. They can't. They fall back asleep. I imagine that was hurtful. That was hurtful to see that. It goes beyond physical pain. That's just... These are my guys that are supposed to be with me, and they, they're letting me down a little bit. That's got to be hurtful. And then what does he see? He looks off in the distance. He sees Judas coming, right? This is a guy that walked with him. Been there every single time everybody else had been there. And what is he doing? He's leading the pack. He's the one coming to arrest Jesus. He's the one that's come to, to point him out to say, this is the guy. This is Jesus. You're looking for him. This is him. You think that hurt a little bit? To have a guy that had walked around with you for three years and proclaimed to be your, your good friend and proclaimed to be on your side all this time and now he's the one leading the pack to come arrest you? And we talked about last week how there was like a thousand of them. Like there would have been this angry mob of about a thousand people with torches and, and swords and stuff and they're coming to arrest Jesus and, and 11 guys, there's 12 guys there and they bring a thousand against him. Can you imagine how that must have felt? Can you imagine, I mean, how it would have been to just sit there and you're 12 guys looking at a thousand going, all right, all these people hate me. I got 11 others that don't, but there's a thousand over there that do. And they're, they're here to, to chase us down if we run away. And Jesus had been just pouring out, just like drops of blood pouring from his brow because he knew what was about to come. He knew that he was going to be arrested. And then Peter, he's very zealous. He's, he's passionate, you know. He cuts off the guy's ear. You're not going to take Jesus. It's not going to go down like this. It's not going to happen this way because, see, what had happened was Jesus had just had you know, a meal with his guys, and they were talking. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here in just a little while. But, but he had had a meal with his guys, and he says, yeah, but, but... And Peter says, I know that you're saying that you got to go away, but it, I, you're not going to die, Jesus. That's not going to happen. Not on my watch. I'm going to be here, man. I'm going to be right beside you. You don't have to worry. So Peter, you know, he's... You either put up or shut up, and he, he's putting up here, and he's like... Nobody is going to take him, even if I have to take on a thousand of you guys. And he reaches over and cuts the guy's ear off, you know, saying, I'm not just going to sit back and let this happen. So Peter's full of zeal and full of passion. But what did, also, what did Jesus also say at that last supper that he had with his, with his disciples? He said, Peter, he says, look, I know that you say that you're full of zeal and passion, but you know what? You're going to deny me. You're going to deny that you ever knew me. And it's not going to just happen one time, but it's going to have, happen three times before the rooster even crows. And Peter's like, no way, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen like that. And then he has to correct Peter once he cuts the guy's ear off. He says, man, you can't do it that way. This, this is God's plan. This is God's plan. It, it, it's, it's setting up the way God has it planned out. And, and those that live by the sword die by the sword. And, and Peter, you can't do it this way. 
See, Peter's full of all this zeal and passion, and Jesus knows he's going to deny him. So they're in the garden there. They take Jesus, they take him captive. And we know that they start beating up on Jesus, right? So they start hitting him in the face. They start plucking the beard from his face. They're spitting on him. They're doing all this stuff, you know, before he even faces trial. And, and, and the disciples know this is going on, so what do they do? They run. The guys that have been closest to him all this time, they run away. What does Peter do? He doesn't just run away. What does he do? Little little girl in the courtyard is like, I know you. You're one of those Galileans. You're one of those people that were with Jesus. I know you. I know what you're all about. You're all about Jesus. He's like, that's not me. That's not me. That's not not who I am. I I, I don't know this Jesus guy. He's doing exactly what Jesus told him he was going to do. He's denying him. There's actually, in one of the Gospels, I believe it's Luke's Gospel, that he actually records that, that on the third time that he denied Jesus, Jesus looked at him in that moment from across the courtyard. He, he caught his eye. Right at the same time, he had denied him three times. At the exact moment that he denied Jesus on that third time, he caught Jesus' eye. Can you imagine how that must have hurt Jesus? Knowing full well that it was coming. Knowing full well that that's what was going to happen. It's still, this is his brother who was so full of zeal and so, so passionate back in the garden. Now he's denied that he ever knew him. Three times before the rooster ever crowed. Yeah, there's physical pain. There's pain when they plucked a beard from his face, when they would punch him in the face, when they spit on him. But then again, there's this emotional pain, this sorrow that must have come from looking his brother in the eye. And that third time he says, I never knew Jesus. I don't know who you're talking about. You have somebody that you're close to, somebody that's your your best friend that you say, man, if I went to battle, they'd be right there beside me. Can you imagine when they say, I don't even know who that person is. You you think they've got your back all day long, every single day, but indeed, when the going gets tough, they say, I'm, I'm not friends with them. I don't know who you're talking about. Imagine the kind of emotional pain that must have been. And then what happens? He goes and he has these trials. These people are supposed to know God. These people are supposed to know the truth of God. And what do they do? They they constantly falsely accuse Jesus, hurl all these insults at him. And he's standing there having to take it all. These people are proclaiming to know truth and Jesus knows truth. And at the same time, they're hurling all these insults on him. And he's just standing there. He's just taking it. Can you imagine how much it must have hurt to be standing in the midst of this crowd? These people are supposed to be close to God, and all they do is continue to accuse you falsely. Is it true that Jesus knew that this was coming? Absolutely. But is it true at the same time that I believe it hurt him to have all these insults hurled on him? I believe that it must have. So he's got his friends have bailed on him. False accusations coming against him. He's remaining silent, as Scripture said that he would, and he's taking all this upon himself. See, all of this is going on his shoulders, right? All the insults, all the the, the shame, all the desertion that he felt, it's going on him. It's, It's piling on him. 
You see what's happening here? It's growing and it's growing and it's growing. And it's coming down and it's falling on the shoulders of Jesus. You know, once, not even once do I, do I see in, in Scripture where Nicodemus comes running in. You know, Nicodemus is the one that Jesus had this conversation with that, that Jesus told him. says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Nicodemus was on the receiving end of that, you know. He was on the receiving end of John 3.16. And Nicodemus, you would think he'd run in there and grab Jesus and say, No, you're falsely accusing this guy. You don't know the word of God. You don't know the truth of God. You're not going to do this to him. We don't see that, right? We don't see that, right? See, you, you don't see him standing on trial there and his, his 11 disciples circled around him going, no, not this guy. You're not getting him. We'll die first before you take him. You don't see that, do you? See, th- th- these are not the things you, you read in Scripture. These are things you don't read in Scripture. And I think that there's a lot to be said there. Or what about Lazarus? Man, it was just a, a few days, weeks prior that Lazarus literally came out of the grave. He walked out of the tomb because he was dead, and Jesus brought him back to life. I feel like if that was me, and, and, and I had nothing to lose because, you know what? I know what it's like to have been dead. You know what I mean? Like, like I've experienced death before. You would think he would come running into the scene and go, no, uh-uh, I don't care what you're doing. You ain't touching this guy. This guy raised me from the dead. You know how I know that? Because I was dead, and now I'm not. You would think Lazarus, you see, like one of the disciples would record Lazarus running in and wrapping his arms around Jesus and say, you're not doing this to this guy. But we don't see that, do we? Where's Lazarus, man? Where is he? Why, why is he not running in on the scene and busting up the crowd? I don't understand. And the woman that... that, that that anointed him, you know, with the expensive perfume. Where is she, man? What happened? She was worshiping Jesus just like a few days prior. And now he's on trial. And like, it's like these people are absent from the scene. Where are they? Where did they go? How must that have hurt Jesus to like have had all of this around him? And now he looks around and he's alone. And it's all being hurled on him. I mean, it was just recently that, that he was coming into the city. And, and, and he, he was, he was the palm branches being thrown in, down in front of him. Save us, save us. I mean, the crowds were chanting. And now, where are they at? Because what happens, right? As Pilate gives them a chance, he says, okay, look. Well, I, a day like today, it's a celebration day. Passover, all that. So you guys get to choose one prisoner and be set free. And they got Barabbas, who, who's like this murderer who's on trial. He, he's, he's had all these uprisings in, in, in Jerusalem, and he, he's been fighting against the Romans. And, and like, I mean, he, he's, he's just a, he's a thug, man. He's rough, and, and he's been killing people, and he's on trial. And they're like, you got the choice. You can either take this murderer and put him back into society, or you can take Jesus and put him back into society. Which one do you want? What do I say? We want Barabbas, man. Give us Barabbas. We want him back amongst us. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. I mean, you know, 
Jesus, he, he's like healing people and, and lame people are walking and blind people are seeing. Lepers are being cleansed and people are being brought back from the dead. But we don't want that guy. Give us the murderer. We want him back in society. Can you imagine how that must have felt on Jesus' ears when he heard that? Yeah, he knew it was going to happen. Yeah, I believe that. He's God. He knows. But still, just to actually hear it, those people that were praying and, and shouting and praising Hosanna just recently, now they're shouting Barabbas. And now they're shouting, crucify Jesus. What do you want to do with Jesus now? Okay, so he's, he's condemned, all right? How do you want him to die? Crucify him. Wait, that's like the worst possible punishment in Roman society. That's the worst way somebody can die. That's reserved for the lowest of the low, like the, the, the low thieves and, and crooks. I mean, just the rough guys. And y'all want us to crucify Jesus? And they're shouting out, crucify, crucify. There's no record of Jesus weeping when he heard that. They don't see that. But I can't for a second not believe just for a moment that it had to hurt. It had to hurt, don't you think? The insults, the false accusations, the spitting on him, the plucking out of his beard. And his friends aren't around anymore. They've all deserted him. Peter is denied that he ever knew him. And he's standing there all alone. I can't imagine that it didn't hurt, you know? can't imagine it didn't hurt. So then Pilate condemns him to be scourged, right? This is where the physical pain comes in. So in a scourging, what would happen is they would tie your hands down and they would strap you over a stump so that you'd be stretched out so the skin would be tight on your back, right? So the skin would be tight on your back. And you think, well... Okay, so they would take a leather whip and whip him. No, that's not the way that it works. See, what they used on Jesus, it was more than just a whip. Okay, it was these long strands of leather probably. And it would, they, they would have like metal hooks in the end. So metal that would be kind of turned like this on the end and be tied on the end of that leather. And in, in the middle of, of this long strand of this whip that had the hooks on the end, they would have like, little steel balls, little metal balls that would be in the middle of this whip. And that would be used to tenderize the flesh. So that would be the purpose. They would, they would beat him with this whip. So as they were beating him, it would tenderize his flesh and make it softer for it to be ripped from his body. See, I told you it wasn't going to be G-rated. And a lot of times these, these whips that they had would, be, would, would have bits of, of glass or, or, or broken pottery or things in there. So they would scratch as they, as they pulled across the skin. The hooks would dig into the meat and these things would scratch across. And you got the balls in the middle that would, that would tenderize the meat. And Jesus is strapped over this stump. And he knows what's coming. Now see, Jewish law says that they can't get more than 40 lashes. See, the thing about the Romans, they didn't really care what the Jewish thought. So the chances that Jesus got just 40 lashes, I don't see it there. I, I believe that they just beat Jesus until they got tired of beating him. With his hands strapped down close to his feet, strapped over the stump so that they can beat him over and over again. And the, the flesh being tenderized so that when they pull back, see, they would beat 
And then they would pull back. And as they pulled back, those hooks would dig into the flesh and just rip it. And first it would start with the skin and the skin would come off, right? So, so there'd be long strips of skin that'd be hanging off Jesus' back. And then beyond that, once they continued to beat him, then it would be the muscle that would come off after that. And it would be over and over again, each side, up his back and down his back. And he's basically, if he's not naked, he's close to it, strapped over the stump. And he's beaten to the point where he basically, he can't function. See, what they would do is they would allow you to be beaten and your, your skin to be ripped off like that. And then after they were done with that and you were basically to the point of exhaustion where you couldn't take it anymore, they would allow you to lay over a stone and just let, let the blood just kind of solidify and let the wounds heal just enough so that you could walk some more. Because what did you have to do after that? There's some debate about whether or not uh, he was condemned to the crucifixion at, at the same time that he was supposed to have the scourging. But, but maybe the, the, the cries of the crowd said that, that, that that's what led to the, ultimately to the crucifixion. But whatever the case, now he has to get up from that rock after his, his body is so bloody. It literally says that, 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 that you cannot recognize him as a human being. That's how bloody and nasty he looks as a result of what he has just endured. And they give him a cross. All right, now carry this out the city gates to a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And that's where we're going to kill you. We're going to hang you to your dead. And he's so overwhelmed with exhaustion as he's walking down this road, as he's trying to get to the gates, he just collapses and, and can't carry the cross anymore. And they have to get a guy to come alongside and carry the cross for him because he can't take it anymore. And he's crawling, and there's, these, there's people around. They're watching him. I believe wholeheartedly that there were some people that were there on, on Palm Sunday. But now at the time of the crucifixion, I believe they're there watching him walk down that road. I believe that's true. And he looks up. He gets outside the gates. And he looks up, and he sees the hill that he's going to die on, right? He sees a place that he's got to go to die. So they drag him up to the top of the hill. They lay the cross down. All the pictures you see of Jesus always have the nails going through the hands, but more than likely they would have driven them right through the two bones in your arm because that would have held you up a lot better. See, if they put them in your palms, you're probably just ripped out. But, so more than likely they would go right here, right here so, that, so they could hold, hold him up better. And they, they would have a little bit of a... A little bit of a slope there, but they would, they would drive nails into his feet so that he would have to push up on those nails in order to be able to breathe. You see, the way the, the crucifixion works is that it's not designed for you to just die up there after being there for a long period of time. You're supposed to die up there because you cannot breathe. You cannot breathe. But when they're nailing him up to the, to the cross, what they would have done is they would have stretched his arms out as far as they would go. And a lot of times when the Romans would do this, when they would stretch you out on the cross, they would do it so, so, so violently that it would dislocate your shoulders. That his shoulders would be dislocated as he was pulled across that cross. And they would drive those spikes into his wrists. And as they stood him up, see the whole point of the crucifixion and the reason it was such a violent death 
It's not because you would just die from hanging up there for so long or because the blood was trickling from your wrists and feet. That's not the reason you would die. See, the point of the crucifixion is that you can't breathe. The way they've got your arms stretched out and as you're, you're hanging there and all your weight is just kind of on your feet right there. It's supposed to allow the, the air to come in, but you could not exhale. So the way that your, your torso is stretched out, you, you could breathe in and air would come in, but you could not exhale. The only way to exhale would be to push up on those nails so that you could breathe back out again. And you imagine how much physical exhaustion that he was under, having undergone that scourging and having his flesh ripped off his back. And here he's got to push himself up in order to just be able to catch his breath. Now, I know all the pictures we see of Jesus are all G-rated. Uh, we see a picture of the cross, the crucifixion. We, we, they're all kind of G-rated. But you know, most likely, that Jesus would have been naked hanging on that cross. And most likely, because that's the way that the Romans did it. You say, well, the Jews wouldn't allow that to happen. I don't think the Romans gave a rip of what the Jews wanted. The Jewish leadership probably would have said, you know what? A crucifixion, let's cover them up some because, you know, this is... But the Romans didn't care. They didn't care if they shamed the Jewish people. You see, the thing about the crucifixion, too, not only is it supposed to, to, to actually punish them and they're supposed to die, but it's also supposed to shame them. That's why they're hanging up high. It's so that they can, everybody can see. This is a thief. This is a crook. This is a criminal. So when he's hanging up there, he'd be covered in shame. And he'd be completely disrobed and hanging up there naked. So Jesus is hanging up there. You know how many disciples were there with him? His brothers that had walked with him all that time and loved him so dearly and were willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that something bad didn't happen to him. We got virtually no accounts of those guys being anywhere. We got some accounts by John of being close enough to hear some of the things that Jesus said, and his account's very different. So at best, at best, he's got one of his friends there. At best. Wouldn't it be awesome to be hanging up there trying to catch your breath, and you look around and go, where are all those guys that I was with? Oh, they're nowhere to be found. They're nowhere to be found. His disciple John is there. And his mother's there. He looks, he says, look, you've got you to be your son now. Mom, this has got to be your son now because I'm going away. I'm going away. You imagine, I mean, like, I understand that he's God and, and, and Mary was just a woman. I understand that it was still his mom. And now he's got to give her away to, to one of his disciples and say, I'm not going to be around to take care of you, Mom. You think that hurt a little bit? You think that hurt Jesus a little bit just to have to say that? Mom, look, this is, this is your son now. Son, this, this is your mom now. And he's hanging there. And what else happens? Well, they crucified two other guys with him, right? Two other thieves that had really deserved the crucifixion based on what they had done. But Jesus didn't deserve it. So he's there with two other guys that actually deserve what's getting done to them. And then one of them starts to make fun of him. He's hanging on a cross. He's dying. He can't breathe. His lungs are filling with carbon dioxide because he, he can't exhale. And here he's got a guy making fun of him. 
Saying, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you call some angels down? Why don't you get us off these crosses? If you're really who you say you are. I mean, talking about hurling insult on top of the pain. I mean, like, insult to injury. That, that, that's just like, the, he's just got another guy that's on a cross still hurling insults at him. Close enough where he can hear him. The hurt. The hurt. You know, Jesus isn't saying a lot during this whole time, right? He's pretty much keeping quiet. He's not said a lot. He said that about, you know, the son and the mother and giving her to him and him to her. And he said that stuff. And then he does have a thief on the other side. He says, hey, man, leave him alone. He says, don't you recognize who you're talking to? And he looks at that thief and says, today you'll de- be with me in paradise. Because that, that guy hanging on the cross said, man, just remember me. Just remember me. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So Jesus hadn't said a whole lot. He hasn't said a whole lot during the trial. He hasn't said a whole lot during the crucifixion. He he says at the very end, he's like, man, I'm just thirsty. I I thirst, is what he said. And adding insult to injury, you know what what they do? Instead of giving him something to drink, they wet a sponge with this stuff that, that basically tastes like vinegar. And they put that up to his mouth. Here you go, you need something to drink? Drink this. Drink this. Of course, it's, it's bitter. Hyssop, it's just this bitter stuff, and you just can't, you can't do anything with it. Can you imagine the hurt? Can you, can you feel it? As we talk about all the things that Jesus has endured, all the things that have been heaped upon our Savior, the one that has, has walked around and done nothing more than heal people and tell them that he is God. Proclaim the truth of God according to his scripture. And and he's hanging up there. Can you feel the hurt? Not just the physical pain, but the emotional pain as as well of all the people that have kind of deserted him and hung him out to dry and and just done all these terrible, awful things to him. You can almost feel it, can't you? You know what's interesting is Jesus has been mostly quiet through this, this whole time. And Jesus, I really believe he hasn't felt the worst pain of all up until this point. Because he's remained quiet, it makes me think that because he said this, this last thing, because he says this last thing, it must mean that it was really, really painful for him. Eli, Eli, Lima, Sabachthani. That's what he says, hanging on the cross. Eli, Eli, lemma, sabachthani. You know what that means? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? And the indication here is that God, looking at all the sin that was heaped upon his son, had to turn his face from his son. See, he had to forsake his son that he, so he could never forsake us. And Jesus is hanging there on the cross. And the only time he really says much at all is when he says something about the fa- fact that the father has let him die this way. The father has turned his face from him. Because the sin of the world is hanging on his shoulders. 
He suffered this emotional pain. He suffered this physical pain. But now he is suffering the worst pain of all. And that is the sin of the world hanging on him. The sin of the world on his shoulders. And now his father actually has to turn away from him. He says, God, why have you forsaken me? Can you feel it now? Can you feel the pain now? I want to read one thing to you, okay? What we're going to do today is uh, during, um, during our time of singing, we're going to allow you to take the Lord's Supper. The way we do it here at Simple Church is you have a chance to come and you have a chance to, to pray at this altar if you like. You can pray at your church if you like. I, that doesn't matter to me. It's between you and God. But you, you have a chance to repent. Before you commune with God, before you, you take the Lord's Supper that we're going to take, you have a chance to repent and get your heart right so that you're taking it the right way and you're not defiling what Jesus has done for you by taking it with the wrong heart. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christ follower, all you're drinking is some juice and a cracker. That's all you're doing. But if you're a Christian, this represents the very blood that was shed on that cross for you and, and, and the, the body that took that terrible, terrible beating so that you might be able to be saved. The sin that, that, that you have, all the nastiness, filthiness, all the things that you've done wrong in your life, all the shame that you felt that was heaped upon Jesus when, when, when God had to turn his face away from him for just that moment, that's what it represents. That's what it represents. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask the guys who are helping us pass out the, the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask them to kind of make their way to the back while I'm praying. And I'm going to read, I'm going to read to you Psalm 22, which is what Jesus was saying. He was pointing to this scripture when he was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So as we pass out the Lord's Supper, and as I read to you from Psalm 22, think about the reality of what is being said here and how it's foretelling the experience that Jesus has, the experience that we have through the cross of Jesus. Let me pray, and then we'll pass out the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you, God, for just giving us this chance to be able to commune with you, to get close to you, to be able to, 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 to talk to you. God, to repent of our sins, to do the things that we need to do to get, to get right with you. God, maybe there's somebody here that doesn't know you and they're not a Christian. Maybe they haven't given their lives to you. Lord Jesus, I just pray, God, maybe before they take the Lord's Supper, that they would surrender their hearts and lives to you so that they might be able to take, they might be able to take this Lord's Supper. They might be able to take it knowing that they indeed have eternal life. God, I pray. Pray that you just speak to us now as we look at your scriptures, we look at your word. God, I just pray that you would speak to us. God, we thank you for the insults. God, the, 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 the shame, the sin that was all heaped upon our Savior. God, so that we might be able to become, become the righteousness of God. Lord, just be blessed now as we get close to you. In Jesus' name. Just remain seated. They're going to pass out the Lord's Supper. And I just want to read Psalm 22 to you for just a moment. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? 
Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb. You led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. Guys, if you'll go ahead and start passing out the Lord's Supper as we read. Do not stay far from me, for my trouble is near and no one else can help me. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Piercing bulls of Basham have have hemmed me in. Like lions, they have opened their jaws against me, roaring and, and tearing into their prey. My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. The evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Oh Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaws and from the, thor- the horns of these wild oxen. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all who fear him. Honor him, all of your descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all descendants of Israel. For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but he has listened to their cries for help. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise Him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to Him. All the families of the nations will bow down before Him. For royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship. Bow before Him all who are mortal. All whose lives will end as dust. Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. This is what Jesus was saying as he hung on the cross. And all the the sin, all the guilt, all the shame, all the things that you've done to break the heart of God, This was poured out on Jesus. And Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never be forsaken by God. You have a chance right now to come to know this Lord. 
you have the same chance that every single one of the people that, that saw Jesus hanging on that cross that day, you have the same chance to know him as Lord. You see, here's the thing. So I've told you a lot of the bad stuff that happened to Jesus, right? I told you all the insults, all the pain and suffering that he underwent. But he went to the tomb. After he had given up his life, he said, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He gave up his life. And they took his body and put it in a tomb. The good news is he didn't stay in that tomb. You see, although he had died, he only died for a little while. But he had to show us all that he had the power to resurrect from the dead. Under his own authority, he could come back from the dead. I want you to know that that same God is speaking to you right now. And all this guilt and the shame and the nastiness that is you and all the brokenness for the things you've done to break the heart of God, all of that can be made new again. You can give it to Jesus and it can die. And then you can be brought to life just like Jesus was in a brand new life. You, you can give it all to him right now and have it all washed away. Because you know what he said? Once they found out that he was no longer in the tomb and this angel of the Lord came and was talking to, to, the, to the women that were there and it's like, go, th- go tell the disciples and Peter. That one that had died him three times and he locked eyes with him across the courtyard. Go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is risen, that Jesus is alive. That you thought it was all over with. You thought there was no chance. You thought that there was no hope. Well, there is hope because he's alive. He's alive. You know why there's hope for you today? Do you know why you have a chance today? It's because he's alive. It's because he's alive. He took all of that on himself so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Will you let that opportunity pass you by today? Will you continue to to let all the stuff that weighs you down and burdens you and causes you to stumble, will you continue to let it do that to you today? Or will you lay it at the foot of the cross and let it die so that you can be resurrected to a new life with him? You have the choice. He doesn't force you to do it. You have the choice. Father, I pray, God, for anybody that doesn't know you, I pray that today might be the day of salvation for them. God, and then for those that do know you, those that are your disciples, your followers. God, maybe they got some things in their life they need to repent of. They need to, to come to you and say, God, forgive me. I pray that they would, they would do that today. Before they take this Lord's Supper, I pray that they would do that. I pray that they would just, just come to you and say, God, I have messed up. I have done things wrong in my life. I am broken and I am in need of a touch from you to cleanse me and make me new. I know that I can do nothing apart from the Holy Spirit of God. Maybe somebody needs to come and repent of some sin today. Whatever the case may be, God, I pray that you would do the work that only you can do. God, that you would speak to hearts and lives right now. God, before we take this Lord's Supper, I pray that people would take this opportunity seriously to just draw close to you. God, you would be glorified by our repentance and our coming to you. In Jesus' name, amen.